1: Hi, this is Laurel, and welcome back to Laurel's Real Money Talks, a podcast that talks about how to make money, how to keep money, how to invest money, how to find a team and put it all together. And we interview every week just world-leading experts in different categories, and today we're talking about one of my favorite, which is cannabis, and we're going to talk about what's beyond the mainstream. You know, mainstream knows a lot about cannabis. not only from a use standpoint, but from a financial standpoint, and uh, it's going to become one of the greatest asset classes I think uh, our country and other countries have ever seen. So with me today, Joseph has been in the industry since he was a teenager. Um, he's leading a huge project in Hawthorne, Nevada, and uh, he's here with us today from Colorado. So, Joseph, welcome.
2: Hello. Thanks for having me.
1: Thank you. So just give a little, you know, uh, I kind of set up the background you've been here, you know, in this industry since you're a teenager. But, you know, what makes you an expert to talk? So, you know, this podcast goes all over the world and I want people to know
2: how extraordinary you are. Yeah, no problem. I think it all starts with having great mentors. Cannabis is not something you can go to a university and learn about. You can scour the Internet and dig through podcasts now more so and in the back in the day well i mean i'm 34 and i started experimenting it's been in my life since i was 15 you know whether it was smoking it or or attempting to grow it when i was 15 and when i was 15 almost 20 years ago you really just had these forums you could go scour through the forums so there's a lot of misinformation in there and you know anecdotal evidence so now that there are a lot of professional real businesses that have, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of overhead and they need to focus on the cost of the goods sold and all of these things that normal businesses use. And it's out of the black market and into the mainstream. It's become legitimized. Right. So. That brings uh, research. It brings professionals from other walks of life like uh, agronomists, horticulture background, big biotech and whatnot. And we know a lot about the genome of cannabis and cannabis. The species, it encompasses a lot of things. It's not just the THC-rich cannabis we know. Mm -hmm. And what really got me to the level I'm at is having great mentors, working under people. And then I took the step to work for myself. I started as a vendor with multiple different products like uh, lighting, environmental controls, nutrient, integrated pest management, application consulting all these things and also mm-hmm. a working under people in gardens that are licensed and regulated and they have a lot of red tape and a lot of hoops you have to jump through and things you cannot do that you could do in the past like mm-hmm. you know your crop with chemicals or reactive gardening where you see a bug and you spray for the bug and things like that right so yeah. now we have legitimized the industry. We have a lot of testing and I was ahead of that curve, fortunately with the pesticide. Yeah. And I have, I have a scientific mind, right? My father is an engineer. My brother is an engineer and I was the black sheep. I've always mm-hmm. known that cannabis was special. I've been told my wife, I should stay away from it. It's bad. And in 2009, when I moved to Colorado to grow cannabis, I came up here with my now wife and we wanted to do the caregiver thing and it was, it was very lucrative. And that was one of my big motivations was coming up to Colorado to make money and create uh, my own wealth. And then I quickly yep. realized that there's so much medicinal benefit and people get a lot of relief and they have a more normal life with the medicinal side as for pain management, uh, anxiety, depression, all these things, sleep problems. And then it it really became about something else for me. It became about helping people. And as soon as I changed the way I looked at cannabis and realized it helps so many people, a lot of doors opened for me. Mm-hmm. I had a lot of passion there, and a lot of motivation. So,
1: so Joseph, talk about like again kind of beyond what the mainstream knows, right? Totally. So, just going to talk about the the, the basics that, uh, and you're headed there right now. I just want to yeah. There's so many people who think that they know it, but let's talk about that.
2: Well, and, and, and to their defense, a lot of people just know what they're told, right? And this has all been in the, in the shadows, this whole industry for the longest time. And over the last 10 years or so, we've not only legitimized it, as I said, but understood it so much better. We understand it a lot better. And for me, you know, it reaffirms a lot of what I already knew and didn't really have the, the evidence to back it up. You know, it's just personal anecdotal evidence, whatnot. So what the mainstream's not really talking about right now with cannabis, and that, that comes from a place of, uh, you know, we're up against big business, pharmaceutical industry, the plastic industry, oil and gas, you know, we're, we're a threat to them because they can take oil and make so many things with it that hemp and cannabis can also make but when it comes to medicinal value and helping people and uh, you know for example helping people stop smoking cigarettes or helping people avoid harmful painkillers or whether it be opiates or benzos you have a lot of medicinal value there and you can use cannabis regularly. And get the same benefits without the side effects, right? So the side effects are pretty awful for opiates. And we now that we have had cannabis in the mainstream and it can be talked about and people are exposed to it more, it's very common for places that have an opioid epidemic to introduce cannabis and those numbers drastically drop because people... Can smoke or ingest cannabis, whether it be a tincture a topical. I mean you can take a topical, load it up with THC, put it on your skin and get high from it, for example. And I've I've yep. personally done it, uh, experimenting with lotions and salves. It's fascinating. And we know that there are what we know about, there are over 450 compounds in these plants. And there are compounds that we can't identify. There are terpenes. The flavonoids, what has the aroma and the taste, we know that there are a lot of unidentified compounds just in that arena, right, that are classified as flavonoids and terpenes. So we have cannabinoids, THC, CBD, CBG, and there are many, and we're just learning about these things and the potency of them and how they all work synergistically with the terpenes. And one of the biggest things the mainstream is not talking about is that there were misconceptions before the legit- legitimization of cannabis. One of those big things was the sativa indica conversation. Mm-hmm. Sativa generally was equatorial, large, long photo period, long flowering plants. They take, once they start flowering, they take, you know, 16 to 20 weeks to finish. And indoor varieties take eight, seven to eight weeks to finish. That's generally what everyone grows in the uh, legal cannabis space for the sake of getting four or five harvests a year to meet those expenses and all the overhead and, and keep your numbers where they need to be. So your cogs change a lot when you have a 18 week variety, right? So with that being said, we now know that that is not how they're classified, because you have all this hybridized everything's a hybrid, right? You take all these equatorial and these mountainous uh, the indica would be the other side. So you have, you know the Pakistan, Afghanistan, mountainous regions where you have these landlocked varieties that have not been interrupted by other cannabis varieties and cross-pollinated or uh, people have not, you know diminished that population or tainted it, right? So they're untouched. They're called land race varieties. And we look at those land race varieties from the equator and from these mountainous regions, and now they're all basically crossed together. We have, you know, Thai varieties crossed with Afghan or Pakistan, and it's just, it's fascinating. Then additionally, you have feral hemp that produces almost no THC that grows wild here in the United States, for example, and in Europe and Asia. And basically, the big thing that we know now is that it's not indica or sativa anymore. They classify it as narrow leaf or broad leaf variety and then drug type. So drug type means the dominant compound like THC or CBD. Type 1 is THC rich with little to no other cannabinoids. And then type 2 is THC CBD. Then type 3 is CBD rich with less than 0.3% THC, that's hemp. And we can grow hemp for fiber or grain, or we can grow hemp for CBD oil. And those are all different. The oil, For oil would be a Sensi crop. So Sensimia, no, no seeds. Type mm. four is CBG rich with less than 0.3% THC. And we know now that CBG varieties have the THC synthase that triggers the THC to produce in the plant is turned off with CBG type 5 is no cannabinoids so you have all the other compounds i mentioned previously like flavonoids terpenes and all these other unknown compounds that are in that plant that's just how we classify it and you know these are all a combination of narrow leaf broad leaf varieties to reach these traits these chemotypes we call them which is the chemical makeup Of the plant. That's how we classify it now. You have an observation-based classification, narrowleaf, broadleaf, which is changed from Indica sativa. And then you have a drug type classification, which is chemotype. Explain
1: the drug type.
2: THC is a drug. CBD is a drug. CBG is a drug. And that just really comes down to what that plant produces a majority of within it. And that's how we classify it, by the drug that it produces.
1: So, Joseph, as, as you speak of this, I mean, I, I love talking to you because I don't know anyone else who knows the depth that you know.
2: It's hard when, to put it all into words. Speak,
1: oh, I know. But, I, you know, <laughs> earlier you said, you know, the farmers are clearly going to get into the business. So as you look towards the, the future, what's going to be happening How do you see the farmers getting involved? Because my concern are people like you, right? And those who really know the plant and know the benefits. When it goes pharma, is it going to get very synthetic? And, you know, just what's the damage that you see in the future that's going to happen if farmers don't do and enter this industry properly?
2: Well, I, I love that question. So what I see is everybody's trying to find their place in the industry, whether it be your ag farmer who's, you know, growing thousands of acres with, and it's fully mechanized, right? And the industry started out where outside you could grow CBD and it wouldn't get seeded type three. You know, the farm bill kind of justified that. It gave us the ability to go outside and grow this stuff in the field. And four years ago, when I grew hemp for the first time in a field in Colorado, because we had a, it was legal here first to grow CBD Hemp varieties, type three, as long as they don't produce 0.3% THC. And starting out, you could do it and it wouldn't get pollinated by your neighbors. Now, over the years, you have a lot of people that don't know what they're doing. They're experimenting or they're just blatantly planting plants that produce pollen. And then they're pollinating all their neighbors, which brings down the CBD because you have all the seed in the flower you know, the female plants get pollinated and they produce seed. And when they're heavily seeded, the plant is mostly seed. So it doesn't produce that much CBD. There's not flower surface area. It's just all seed. And it's also stressful to the plant. So it's not going to produce for that reason as well. So what I see happening with the ag guys, there are things that we call it a tri crop. So these are varieties that produce more fiber, They also produce CBD around, you know, three, four percent in the flower, but they're more well equipped to be pollinated. So you also get grain. That's why we call it a tri crop. You have fiber, grain and CBD. And, you know, you have to mechanize all this. Imagine a thousand acres of plants full of seeds with a little bit of flour. You have to use all these machines to separate all those different parts. And then you can extract the compounds out the flour, There are a lot of different uses for the seed. The shell is where all the oil is. It's a very thin layer. It's got all the the hemp seed oil in it, which is very, very nutritious, high in omega-3s and 6s. It's very nutritionally sound. And then the hemp seed heart is full of protein. And you can use that. Uh, There's animal-grade feed and then human grade and they they all have parameters that make them qualified for those different areas and then you can also uh roast the seeds whole as well so there's a lot of uses for them as food for feed for animals and then fiber is just it's one of the strongest fibrous plants on the planet and generally these fibers stay intact for you know 16 30 40 inches so that's very beneficial and it was a staple in the united states for the longest time you know world war ii we needed rope and everybody was subsidized to grow hemp for the government so that we could go to war and then it just vanished they changed the laws they made hemp illegal as well as cannabis they classified it as schedule one no medicinal benefit. We know that's not true now. We were, we were kind of misled about that. And we don't need to go into the, the whole conspiracy side of that. But there's a lot of industry motivation from other people to make hemp and cannabis illegal. Mainly, we're talking about all this medicinal value from the compounds, the drug varieties that you can smoke or ingest, eat, put it in a tincture. And there's tons of medicinal value. All the relief you get and now we've been so bombarded with these they're all petrochemical pharmaceutical drugs they have hundreds of thousands of compounds in a couple drops of oil you take what crude oil and you drop it in water and the amount of compounds that we've identified in that is just insane it's astronomical so they they take all these compounds and test them and put them in a pill and they have benefit but generally there are a lot of side effects and they tend to be easy to abuse they're addictive especially opiates and barbiturates so you now have this problem in society where drugs are very profitable to prescribe you have these pain clinics all over the country and those Places with pain clinics usually have a lot more uh, substance abuse issues. And we now know that cannabis relieves all of those cravings and they help with addiction tremendously and withdrawals. You see in movies how bad it is when people are jonesing for these hard drugs. They're curled up (laughs) in a ball, sweating in the bed. And cannabis helps with that tremendously. And that, I think, is one of the reasons that it is becoming so popular because these people that develop addiction issues, they live with that for their whole life. Alcohol, pharmaceutical drugs. We know that as a fact. Addiction is a disease and cannabis replaces that desire, that addiction and you are functional. Your brain works perfectly. You know, your emotions aren't all over the place. You are uh, relieved and less anxious and more relaxed. Those are facts. And the science is starting to catch up with all those things. And we're being able to prove these things because the medical industry is now kind of allowed to do it, right? Especially in Europe. And Israel is a big leader in this research. So that is really refreshing because it's, it's what... I grew up racing motocross. And when I was 19, I dislocated my shoulder, broke my clavicle, had to have surgery. They gave me uh, Valium, which is a barbiturate. And they gave me uh, the strongest Vicodin they could give me. And I had an issue. It was very Mm -hmm. addictive. And if it wasn't for cannabis, I would still have that issue, I think, based on you know, my personality and how, how well I know myself, it would be a battle. And I don't have, I go, I go long periods of times without smoking cannabis and I usually save it for the evening time and I don't have a problem putting it down and, and picking it back up. And I never have those addiction problems with the pharmaceutical drugs that I was once addicted to. So I have personal experience. Yeah. Justifies the whole thing for me. And, you know, I still live with injuries and I choose to use cannabis to help with those injuries instead. I mean, I have a torn meniscus and ACL in my left leg and I can live with it just fine. It limits me when I exercise, but this is a huge reason why cannabis has such a big future.
1: Just that whole last piece of the conversation don't you agree that if the addiction and pain. I mean the, the pain industry pain in the world is extremely high. If it, it is if it is a huge industry just focused on those two. If it if just focused on those two, addiction and pain, it would be have a, a very different future, right? I mean yeah. it's got and a way bigger future than that. Future.
2: That's why it has a different future than it has had in the past, because people are exposing themselves to it. They have more access to cannabis now because it's more legal and they don't have to worry about getting cuffed in the back of a cop car for going to buy a bag of weed anymore. And you see state by state, they're lowering. And I mean, I'm from Texas and don't get me wrong. I'm from the most liberal part of Texas, Austin. And they just announced in Austin that you can have eight ounces of cannabis on you and they won't take you to jail. wow this is texas yeah same thing in colorado you can have four ounces on you i believe i might be wrong and you can also have six plants growing at your home without any special licensing or being on a list or having any medical card or anything just as a citizen of colorado you can have six plants in your home growing that's crazy to me
1: so just I, I I could talk to you forever about this. So we I have to wrap up the podcast, but talk a little, just if people want to know the information, because there's so much misinformation, yeah. right? I mean, anybody can put anything, as, that's kind of my joke about the internet, is it's like the bathroom wall, you can write anything about anybody at any time. So, I mean, where would you give a few sources for real accurate information to continue this conversation as uh, industry and asset class continues to grow? Any sources that you think are more credible than others
2: yeah well this is the thing in the united states we have cannabis scheduled as as schedule one so in mm-hmm. the government size it has no medicinal value so it's been very difficult to study cannabis in the united states and one of the, re- the leaders in this research is israel israel has a giant cbd program they have breeding programs they have you know, research on these different compounds and how they work synergistically, namely with seizures. And that's exciting to me. I've watched children that are on a cocktail of over a dozen drugs, and they still have really, really bad seizures. And they take cannabis oil and seizures. There's a lot of benefit from CBD, but you do need some THC which further legitimizes cannabis as a whole. CBD has its place, yes, there's tons of benefit. But CBD with some THC in children, that's kind of taboo. But when you're on 12-plus drugs and you still have seizures all the time and you can't even look your parents in the face and make eye contact because your brain is so damaged from these seizures, we're giving life to these children, and I've seen it personally. I have a friend that makes a product with essential oils with THCA, THD, which is active, inactive. Uh THCA is inactive. C B D A and C B D with essential oils because a child that he treats is so badly ridden with seizures. He has 12 yep. seizures a day. He can't open his mouth. He chokes on his tongue when his seizures kick in. They're so bad. He made a roller that you can put on the bottom of your feet. And I have video of this that I will share with I've you. seen it. Yo, you have seen I've it. I've seen that
1: one. Yeah, it's this extraordinary. He's
2: having a seizure so bad that he's choking on his tongue. And his mom rolls this on the bottom of his feet. And the seizure stops in 10 seconds. Yep. It's fascinating. Well, and this research, uh-huh. it, it, what's, what's backing this up is research in Israel. And I want to say it, it's Dr. Dimitri. Uh, I will get you more information. So Autumn Carcy, that is the project manager and designer on our project in Hawthorne, has gone to Israel and met with this doctor and spoke on panel. She's amazing. Let's get these listeners more information on that. I'll share some links. We can include them in the podcast. I don't want to misspeak. I'm I'm not really great with with pronouncing uh, names from Israel, but... (laughs) <laughs> let's get let's get some no, more information. Perfect. I'll compile some stuff for everyone and we can share it and they everyone can go down their own little rabbit hole.
1: yep, yeah, I appreciate it yeah. um with Joseph, this is uh one of many podcasts we're going to continue to do as uh we you know keep tabs on this industry and what we're doing and also any of you that want to know about our project in hawthorne we're going to have one of the most extraordinary high grade high level projects Nevada's ever seen. So if you have questions, want to uh, make a request to reach out to Joseph, if you have a question, and there's several brands that I know Joseph's working on. I know my heart and soul on this is to really work with you to do that mom's meds brand, because I think there's so many, you know, moms that, that need it for their children, just like the seizure. They need it for their parents, they need it for their kids, and they're not sure where to go. So right. I think that's just so going to be a good fun good brand, too. Yep. Yes. And great. I know you and your wife are are well into it and have a beautiful child. So thank you so much for being on. And again, those of you that are uh, here and listening, we will have Joseph back. Again, if you have any questions, make a request, go to askloral.com, A-S-K-L-O-R-A-L. Go to com. you can make a request there. And uh, as we publish the podcast notes, we will have links in there for you to get the proper education and accurate information. So Joseph, thank you. Appreciate your time today.
2: You're welcome. Thank you for having me.
1: And the rest of you will be back next week and uh, more on how to make money, keep money, invest money, and do it with the team. If you enjoyed this podcast and these conversations, share it with uh, those around you. We'll be back next week.
0: Thanks for listening to the Real Money Talks podcast. Your host has been Laurel Langmire author of five New York Times bestsellers, money expert on Dr. Phil, CNN, CNBC, Visit asklaurel.com to submit your question, and it may just be covered on a podcast episode. So stay tuned and be sure to subscribe to get new episodes every week.